Um, and that just becomes this kind of cycle, I feel, of almost breaking down this kind of um, beautiful ignorance that humanity has, where we don't know what's going to happen. And we push on nonetheless. When we know so much that's going to happen, I wonder what humanity will be like. Because in history, there's not really any precedent for anything like that. We've always been ignorant, and so we've always pushed forward. And right now, we seem to be forecasting more and more what's going to happen. And in line with that, it seems like there's a lot and a lot more dread and feel, feelings of hopelessness about, from people. And so, I don't know. That's just, just what shot out to me right away. Ever heard of a podcast where one of the hosts has no idea what's going on? Well, now you have. Welcome to Unprompted, the show where one of the hosts shows up completely unaware of the conversation topic for the episode. From technology to society to history, life, and more, each episode features a unique topic and the hosts unravel the details together using nothing but their background knowledge and past experiences. Hosted by Luke Bogus and Jared Arts, we hope you enjoy today's Unprompted Conversation. The big two zero, Jared. Yes, as far as we we know, this is episode twenty. If we've done our math right, we have been through twenty episodes together. I, you know, as we dawn on season two, or at least what I've been calling season two, I am yeah, still. I'm, I'm never going to change the season number <laughs> anchor, so it's always going to be season one. But we can we can call it whatever we want. You know, back from our humble beginnings of you know in your bedroom all the way through you know still pretty humble beginnings, I would say. But um, I'm I'm impressed with our with our diligence uh, and our continuation of doing the pod. It's been fun. We had a great ep- we had a great episode last week with a guest. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to keep doing that, but you know it's all up and up is what I'm getting at. You know it's it's 20, but there are 200 left to go. <laughs> a fifth of the way to 100, a tenth of the that's way right. to 200. That's the way we got to think. Think big. You know that's right. That's how you're gonna make it. Advice to everyone. That's right. We scale <laughs> our uh, our number of podcasts with the number of listeners we we have, which has been steadily going up. It sounds like it sounds like you've been doing some pretty good recruiting. Uh, from some folks that you work with. So that's always huge shout out to, uh, mm-hmm. to Jared's coworkers. I, I hear that there are some listeners, which is, which is great to hear. You love to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are, there are, there are always a, always a few of them that, uh, that, that can show a listen. I think we're, uh, we're dropping. We're still, we're still looking to make our way back to up to our pandemic peak, but, uh, we mm-hmm. are, uh, we are on the way we're on the road up. So, but we're going to have another great episode today. I think uh, Luke is bringing the topic. So, Luke, do you have I do. any, before I, I just, try to guess it, do you have any any starting thoughts or opinions? You know, I, uh, what I'll say is, I, I don't think we've ever talked about it. It, I don't really have any preconceived opinions on it. Like, I've I've thought tangentially about the idea before. I've never deep dove on the topic before. Um, it semi very tangentially relates to something we have talked about in the past. Very, very tangentially. Um, but yeah, I don't have any thoughts on it. Like I, I'm just going to, we're basically just going to talk about the topic and see where it takes us. I have no opinions on the topic, so we'll see how it goes. I don't think that gave you anything, but I'm curious if you even have a hunch on what we might be talking about. 
So, using my Sherlockian powers of deduction, <laughs> we can assume it's not history. Because yeah, that topic. Man, you are spot on so far. <laughs> it's not it's not web 3, I don't think. Because you no, would have thought no, about it and you would have opinions. It is not It is related to business in the most general sense. Yeah, so far so good. <laughs> um but it's not super technical, I don't think. I think it's something related to like, like it's it's something somewhat related to like what we talked about last week, where it's related to like about how to run a bit like running a business or like mm. the you know defining morals of a business or like guiding like business decisions. Mm. That's 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 my guess. Mm. Who knows how close that is? But that that's where I'll sit. You know, well, I'm I'm pretty impressed. That is, it's, it's, I will say it's close. I'll say it's close. It's about morals and it's about business uh, at at the highest levels. Um, So let's just jump into it. You were very close. I'll be curious to see if you have thoughts on this. I, this is a topic that again, I've thought about, I think you have thoughts on it. So I'm excited to hear your opinion. But, um, so I had, I had two instances happen to me recently, which is kind of got what got my mind on this first, the dropout episode on hulu it's about theranos uh elizabeth holmes the classic story raised nine bill or had a nine billion dollar company it turns out the product was fraud um etc going through court right now yada yada the interesting thing there is it's a health tech startup that raised that operated like a startup but at the end of the day was a pharmaceutical company so that's one thought bubble other thought bubble completely different but i'll tie them in together in a second I was at a Seattle Kraken game, which is the hockey team out here uh, in Seattle. And very cool arena at Climate Pledge Arena, very high tech. Um, to get any food, they have the Amazon like walkout technology where like, you know, you scan your credit card, you go in, there's cameras that track you, you grab a, you know, piece of pizza from the counter and it knows that you grab the pizza, it charges your credit card. The other option, instead of swiping your credit card, is to subscribe to Amazon One. Amazon One is a product where you register at a kiosk outside of the place to get your food. And instead of scanning your credit card, you scan your palm because you register your palm to link to your Amazon account. So you hover your palm above the palm reader. The palm reader determines that it is you and then acts just as if a credit card would or a QR code would or whatever it might be. So thought process behind Amazon now is taking your palm data and using that to you know do things such as this just walkout technology so it got me thinking about this third company so this is kind of how the art comes together 23andme we never talked about this but just very interesting concept behind you know at the highest level like you know democratize information you give us your samples will tell you about your DNA. We'll tell you all this medical history. We'll trace you back and, you know, we'll use and, you know, uh, triangulate your anonymized data with other people's anonymized data to then determine if you're at risk for a certain disease or even use that anonymized data to, you know, move forward science and define cures for things, yada, yada, which sounds great. Sounds great to democratize data, use it anonymously, come together, make some great solution. 
It sounds great to use your palm uh, to activate all these things, not even have to worry about taking out your wallet. Ease of transaction by just using you know, your palm. It sounds great to just use a vial of blood that's the size of your pinky to operate all of these things. But at the end of the day, I think it's very interesting how at the end of the day, they're business. So I wanted to talk about the morals-ish of these types of biomedical, A, biomedical companies, or B, tech companies using biometrics and or bodily data for use in business. I think one interesting hot topic last year, it's, it's so happened already, but 23andMe went public, which is very interesting because for a company that started mid-2000s about how do we democratize data, like, like we talked about, use your data to triangulate all the stuff, obviously turned into how do we then operate for our shareholders and make money and monetize this. They started partnering with a bunch of companies and like selling their 23andMe data to other companies. And it became this whole conversation around, okay, well, who owns the data? That's my data, my DNA data that I gave you, but I guess I signed this privacy thing. And so now it's their data and they can sell my data to other companies who might want to do something with certain trials to test all these things. Is that ethical? Can they do that? Um, and so I'm curious as like this notion behind how do we blend tech and data with us and with our human data? Uh, I guess what's at stake with these companies that have access to, in some cases, literally our DNA. So that is the highest uh, highest level walkthrough of it. Hopefully it wasn't too mumble jumble. I know we talked about like ethical AI before. We talked about microbiomes a couple weeks ago. I couldn't remember if this specifically came up, but still something I wanted to talk about. So I'm curious your gut reaction on that uh, that like opening monologue. Um, I do have thoughts about this, though it's not something I always think about. I think I thought about it more when I was in college and had time to just sit and think. But um, I think that at the end of this, your your proposal, you pose the question of what do we have to lose with companies like this who are integrating our biology into technology? And I think that in the most dramatic sense, we have our humanity to lose. Um, and I think in, a, in part, it's something we've already started to lose before true biometric integration with technology. Um, I would argue to an extent that things like the way that social media has been able to hack our brains um, to in, you know, kind of exaggerated terms, force us to scroll endlessly and make ourselves essentially unhappy in the pursuit of uh, profit for the company. I think that there's a potential if this new dawn is not handled intelligently and guided intelligently by sufficient both regulation from government um, levels and through well-meaning business leaders at the business level, then there's the opportunity of a, a much larger damage uh, to our sense of being independent humans that make our own decisions and are able to become 
something that we aren't already. I think an interesting thought that I guess there's a movie and I cannot remember the name for the life of me. So I will give you the, the name starts with a G and the premise of the movie is that in the future they DNA test every baby when it is born and they figure out you know how smart it's going to be how fit it's going to be all this stuff um you know whether that's truly possible probably not but based on that they essentially get assigned a position in life a caste system is formed based on their genetic potential um and while i don't think that that explicitly will happen because you know i don't maybe somewhere but i don't think that will probably happen anytime soon you do have the potential of a pseudo-caste system forming um, in some ways based on things like 23andMe sharing user data. For example, if the, um, if the Healthcare Act uh, that was passed in the United States in the mid-2000s, which prevents uh, health insurance companies from uh, barring insurance for people with pre-existing conditions would get, to reveal, or get repealed, then genetic data would be gold for insurance companies to reject people based on any number of genetic defects or possible genetic defects uh, that could contribute to disease or raise your premium significantly, um, which would create, of course, a genetic um, kind of like, not a genetic caste system, so to speak, but there would be this genetic component, not only this societal component of where do you land in the societal hierarchy, but also where do you land in the genetic hierarchy. If you have very good genes, then you can get super cheap healthcare, which can help advance you on the social ladder. Um, of course, then if you're low on the social ladder, low on the genetic ladder, you're you're really in tough luck. So I think that there's there's a lot of ways, and I'm sure we could talk for like six hours on the ways that this type of biological, technological interface could have huge implications for us individually, both individually as and as a society. But I feel like my initial thought is that, like, you know, mostly focusing on like 23andMe is, you know, what sorts of ways does this damage both like us individually and then us as a society? And there's a lot of, you know, I ramble a certain number of things, but yeah, I'll let you let you talk a little bit now. No, that's it. it you're totally right. And like, I think one thing that I think a lot about, and I know we've talked about this before, um, is at what point do, does technology like this benefit us personally as, as a human, as a, like humanity, I mean, like at, what is the cusp between like this benefits us and improves quality of life and, you know, improves our outlook and our abilities to detect things and make things better. Like, wouldn't it be great if we can detect that you have a gene that makes you more likely to have cancer and therefore we can do these things like, right. That entire train of thought process is democratize the data and know faster and act quicker. At what point does that reach the cusp of, uh, either the, the like perfect route, the transhuman route of like, how do we optimize ourselves to live as long as possible to be as off, like great as possible, use science to, you know, increase our longevity. So like, there's this, there's at what point does it become too far in a transhuman sense? And yeah. And then at what point does it come too far in a data sense where we use that data to, like you said, 
healthcare companies use that data against you. I mean, you're, you're seeing this, not really, but kind of, you know, with like, for example, car insurance, it's like based on how you drive. So whether it be somebody literally plug into your car or you basically allow your phone to track like Metro mile, you allow your phone to track um, your driving habits. And based off that, your premium fluctuates like you could totally see a future where if you take a DNA test um, right now, I think even like my parents have some insurance where if they take a test every year and based on their results, their premium, like they have, they have some incentive program through their work. I'm not sure if it's totally tied through their insurance, but I know like every year they take a blood test, they do all these tests and based off of this data, they get stuff. I don't know if that stuff means they get a kickback from insurance or they get something from their company, whatever, whatever. But like you're starting to kind of see that where it's like, yeah, based off of like, you know, the, the very, what is your activity level? Like, what is, what, who are you? How, how, like, what are your, what's your personality? What's your environment? Like, where do you live? Like, what do you do? Like, what, what are your actions influences the opportunities you have, the amount of money that you have to pay? Um, so I think you can choose which route we go, we rabbit hole down, but I think at either a like data for a transhumanist sense or B like data for like, you know, monetization, optimizing business sense, both scary. Um, but those are two plausible routes that I see. So, yeah, I think that before we dive specifically into one of them, I, when, when you were, you know, through your rebuttal, I, or response, I guess I was, I was thinking, and I guess, do you remember, I'm sure you've heard the story, but do you remember the story of Pandora's box? Uh, refresh me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's an it's a it's a Greek myth, Greek mythology essentially, um, and it's like one of the it's a variation of the story of the fall of mankind from God, the gods' graces, of course. Um, so of course Christianity has it um, its own one along with is or Islam and uh, in Judaism. This is kind of the Greeks one is, you know, there were these the two two people living there. Uh, the wife was named Pandora. I don't remember what the husband's name was. And the gods gifted them a box, um, like a beautiful box, and they said, never open it, because of course. Uh, and one day, the wife Pandora got very um, uh, curious and opened the box. And out of the box flew all of humanity's ailments, old age, sickness, death, um, hunger, etc. But before they could all get out, she slammed the box closed and trapped the only one that she trapped was the one uh, ailment of humanity that would destroy us. And that ailment was um, the ability, the, essentially the ability to see the future. Um, and the logic was, if you know everything that's going to happen, then one, there's no reason to ever do anything. So you become apathetic. And two, you see all these terrible things that happen and you feel you you just feel despair because there's always so many bad things that happen in the future and so this um this kind of like this the, i guess the story is that for all of humanity we haven't had the ability to see the future we haven't had the ability to know and that not knowing has allowed us to be hopeful right and so why i thought of this was in a sense by doing what we're doing, we're going down the path of reopening Pandora's box to allow um, foresight to slip out once again. Um, if you, if we have just the best 
you know, genetic test, genetic data analysis that you are able to say there's a very high likelihood that you will die at 57 with this ailment and you'll also develop chronic back pain in your when you're 25. Well, there's there's two ways of looking at that. One is you'll be like, okay, I'm going to live my life to my the fullest. The other one is, I mean, you're going to feel, oh my gosh, like this is terrible. Like I'm, I'm going to have a short life. I'm going to struggle. And by the time you're mentally, you know, mature enough to really process it, you, you know, probably in your mid twenties and thirties, you're probably you know going to be in a state where you feel like you don't have enough time left. Um, and so you're going to be in the state of hopelessness and or despair. Maybe you, you aren't, you know, it's, it's, you can't say how every person's going to react. But then you take that at kind of a societal level when we're seeing what every person is. And so we're forecasting all of the, this, you know, the troubles that are going on. Um, you, you're also forecasting people's wants. What are they going to want? When are they going to want it? How statistically accurate can we get at that? And so then how can we deliver things to people? Um, and that just becomes this kind of cycle, I feel, of almost breaking down this kind of um, beautiful ignorance that humanity has, where we don't know what's going to happen, and we push on nonetheless. When we know so much that's going to happen, I wonder what humanity will be like. Because in history, there's not really any precedent for anything like that. We've always been ignorant, and so we've always pushed forward. And right now, we've seem to be forecasting more and more what's going to happen. And in line with that, it seems like there's a lot and a lot more dread and feel, feelings of hopelessness about, from people. And so, I don't know. That's just a, just what shot out to me right away. I kind of want to send the podcast right there. That was good stuff. That was <laughs> not actually. Podcast man, over. That, yeah, that was, uh, might have been the most uh, well put, like section of the podcast I think we've had so far. I thought that was a great analogy, great approach. I mean, I, I fully agree. And I think the scary part is like, I, I think we're at like, I don't see that as out of the realm. Like that's the crazy thing. Like I think hundred years ago, whatever, that is crazy talk. I mean, granted you could say a lot of things 10, 20, 34 years ago or crazy talk about what we see today. But just even hearing that, implications are scary and like i can't fathom what that'd be like but having the tech and the systems in place to do those kind of things like that to me is not crazy talk 23andme is basically doing that like you have all these companies that are trying to i mean there's a huge wave recently of these like yeah quasi biotech companies you know there's uh there's a company that i was just reading about i don't remember the name of it but it was like you uh, basically there's like this device that you put on your stool like in your toilet and it assesses like your samples and based off of the samples it tells you if you are dehydrated if you are prone to a certain cancer if you are so like i think the tech optimist in me is very excited about how to like i've always the reason i think i'm in tech is i i love technology that just like casually improves people's lives like technology that is not in people's faces that just uplift and make people more productive more happy so this kind of stuff like love thinking about like i think about like the applications of augmented reality like again it's a very casual way to boost quality of life something a device on your stool so that you know if there's something in your you know your 
when you go to the bathroom, it detects it and it tells you and you can improve your life and you can go to the doctor and do all this stuff happy. Like I think the tech optimist in me loves that. But the implications of where that can go once you start to spread that data and once the depth of knowledge about that data becomes huge. And then once that knowledge either gets hacked or there is some sell-off of the data, I mean, this is a little less dramatic, but like of 23andMe sold like a bunch of records to some company in like 2018 and everyone went up in arms because of, you know, well, it's my data and well, no, it's not because you signed the privacy agreement. So therefore it's our data and we're a business and we're trying to make money off of like, right. And so I think it's um, from a very noble optimist perspective, it's great. But as we've seen with every, I think, noble optimist gesture, there's always a twist to okay, how do we actually monetize this information? How do we build a business? How do we become as big and as powerful as we can? And I think that's where another example I think of right now is like Neuralink. Like obviously, you know, Elon Musk's company about having chips in your brain to do stuff. The thought, thought process, it's just a monkeys today, but the thought process is that you can cure people and rewire the way that their brain works so that people who can't walk can walk and do all these crazy things. It's not going to stop there and it's not just going to be some, you know, humanistic optimist solution and stop there. It's going to begin to be, how do we use this technology to optimize ourselves and optimize us at work and become better humans and longer living humans? Um, a classic human, uh, problem, humanity problem I think of is just like, yeah, stretching stuff until, uh, a little too far until like, the rubber band breaks. So yeah, I don't know. I think that yeah, you bring up in that interesting point, of, especially when we talk about transhumanism, which is a little bit different than kind of just like the general data question. Um, because when you when you talk about transhumanism, um, like the literal definition of that is, you know, you're going beyond what it is to be human. And, you know, when, let's say Neuralink is, becomes perfect or some product like Neuralink. If you have a Neuralink embedded in your brain, that can give you essentially your thoughts are instantly, you know, you can communicate with, you know, worldwide computers and, you know, whatever. Like, you are, from like a biologically functional point of view, you're like not a human, right? Like, you are in a lot of ways beyond that. You're you're functionally capable of a lot more uh, just, just by being who you are, not by using external tools. You have integrated that a tool of the computer inside of you. You're, I guess you're a cyborg literally at that point, but, um, that breaks us up. Um, and this is an interesting, uh, topic that's talked about a lot in, uh, author Noah Harari's book, uh, Homo Deus, where he talks about the possibility of some of these technologies in their most mature state, quite literally fractioning the human species into two species, Homo sapiens and homo deus, the humans who are gods. Because, well, one, who's going to have the money to do this to themselves? It's the very rich. So when we have all these crazy technologies that we think of, well, sure, it's, it's nice to think about them being democratized. But if we think about what's probably the most likely is that the Jeff Bezoses and Elon Musks of the world are going to get all these crazy, you know, medical technologies like you know, whatever nanobots and other things to keep them young and keep them living a long time, combining their brains with computers, uploading their consciousness, whatever the, you know, buzzword transhumanist thing you want to say. Well, the rest of humanity 
lives as humans and becomes less and less in tune. And so then if you, you, you stretch this out over the course of 50 years, 100 years, centuries of this separation between what you could now consider different species, Homo Deus and Homo sapiens. Does Homo Deus, the rich people who are now augmented and enhanced, so to speak, still see normal humans as equal? And what implications does that have for, like, our societal systems? What implications does it have for how Homo Deus, the other I'm saying the enhanced uh, species, so to speak, how they use Homo sapiens? Do they start to just, do we re-implement these systems of oppression? Because it might be easy for someone in that position who's saying we've been superior to them intellectually, legitimately intellectually superior, we're mechanically superior, we're biologically superior, um, for the past three centuries, why are we treating them like equal? They can't hold a candle to us. And so that's that's something that's, that's scary when you think about like this transhumanist shift. And a lot of people talk about, oh, you know, we're going to, all these technologies are going to make human life better. Well, it's possible everything will trickle down like in the past, but that's not guaranteed, right? Um, sometimes technologies take literal millennia to trickle down. Um, you know, things like real good um, iron or steel implements, uh, iron and steel tools, um, took a long time to really trickle down to everyone. A lot of peasants in many parts of the world were still using wooden plows and other things because the process of making better tools took a long time to trickle down. Um, and it could be similar with things like this. And maybe in the, what I just described, they might never trickle down. So that's, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but there's another ramble on, on things. Yeah. I love that, man. That's, I just, the thing I guess I struggle to think about is like, at what point do we look back and realize it's too late? Like, I think you can argue that with a lot of technologies, but you know, obviously the I mean, very canonical story of, you know, Mark Zuckerberg knew, didn't know in 2006 when he made Facebook, the impact that social media and access to, you know, any information at any point in time about anyone in the world at any point. You know, at any moment, he didn't realize the societal impact that, that would have and obviously how it's just blown up into all other forms of social media, yada, yada. Like, I wonder at what point, like, what's the inflection point for that, for this kind of technology, for the technology of you take a DNA sample, you send it to this company. This company has a massive repository of the information. It does all this stuff. It finds all these cures. It does all these things. There's other spinoffs of that company or there's other versions of this, you know, biotech product. Like, I, I, at what point? do we then look back similar to the way we do today with social media while it's advanced us so much. And while it's, you know, there's a lot of benefits of social media, you can obviously look back and see the cons. Like at what point do we get to the tipping point of this technology where we look back and we say, Oh, look at all the great things it's done, but also like, Holy shit, look at all the implications. And like, once that, you know, the dominoes start to fall, like at what point does it start to become too much? and falls into the, the realms of possibility that you were just talking about, you know? Yeah. I think that in a sense, I mean, I think if we look at just like technology in general, at what point have we gone too far? That's a fun question. Um, and I think there's an argument to be made that we've already crossed that line and we've looked back, we've seen it and then we've ignored it. Um, and 
I was, you know, as you said that, it reminded me very much of uh, the um, Oppenheimer quote. Um, not sure if you're aware of that one, but uh, uh, Robert Oppenheimer was one of the like leading scientists on the Manhattan Project that built the, the mm. nuclear bomb for the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the nuclear bomb was the culmination of decades of research, right? Throughout all of the early 20th century, there was huge amounts of research going into kind of like this nuclear fission technology and how could we use it to make a reactor? You know, the first, I think the first uh, nuclear reactor was actually built on the, like the basketball court at Harvard, was it? At one of the, one of the like schools, they built a nuclear reactor on the basketball court, which is crazy to think now. They're just, you know, doing crazy shit. But um, there was all this, this hope for what this could be. And then it got to the point where they, you could say had to build this nuclear weapon. And at the point where they detonated the, the first nuclear weapon, Oppenheimer, who of course helped build it, I mean, and there's reasons why they quote unquote had to build it, but he said when it blew up and he watched it, um, he, was, he just had this Hindu verse that ran through his head that went, now I'm become death, the destroyer of worlds. And in a way, why I bring that up is the point where we made nuclear weapons was the first point in human history where we, you know, in a couple decades, we legitimately now have the capability at the whim of a few human individuals to destroy our species. And so if we talk about at what point can we look back and say we've gone too far, the fact that our technology has brought us to the point where we can quite literally destroy ourselves, which is, in, in some ways, we are in the process of doing in a different way um, through, and you know, not completely destroying our species, but possibly the, destroying our societal structures um, with the way that we're affecting the, the Earth's climate as a whole. Um, I think that that's an interesting argument to be made, that we've crossed that line and we've looked back and... In some way, we've gained this new beautiful human ability to ignore all of our problems, which I guess isn't new. It's a new, another human positive thing, which we see what we've done. We know we've gone too far, and we continue going. It's kind of like the uh, the Macbeth quote of, like, I've waded in so deep um, into this river of blood that it's easy enough to go all the way through as it is to go back. Like, to, to, to undo what we've done, to get, go back to what might be the good level of technology might be getting rid of all these great things we've done. Probably would be best if we got rid of smartphones, for example. But no one's going to accept that, right? So it's easier for us to just go forward into this unknown that might be much worse for us than to go back to what we know is might be better um, by giving up what we have. So that's a... Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a... I don't know if you can ever look back and know a single point. I don't think we'll ever say that because we'll always want to move forward. We won't. We we don't want to admit we've gone too far. I don't think we ever will. Yeah, it makes me wonder. Like, you know, were people forty years ago, eighty years ago, thinking the same thing we're thinking now? I mean, we've got to think that technology has obviously advanced so far, especially in the last like forty years. You could argue it's advanced the most it's ever had. Um, but like, I'm I'm just I wonder. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in like the 1800s, 1900s if people looked at the printing press and were just like, damn, we've gone too far. Or like they looked at 
you know, the very first supercomputer in IBM's lab thinking, damn, we've gone too far. Like, I'm, I'm curious if that's just been like an existential crisis or now if it's that we're starting to see glimpse of what it could be. We're starting to see births of projects that could balloon into these outcomes. Like if that's where we're like, oh, holy shit. Like I feel like people, you know, you think about like, I, I always think about the perception of what the future was years ago. Like, you know, you have the, like the Jetsons, you know, this cartoon where it's just everyone flies around in UFOs and stuff. And like, we always laugh about how funny that is, or like, you know, back to the future when the way that people think the future is going to be, you know, oh my gosh. And it's funny now to look back and whatever. But like, I, um, like I, I think back then, like, I'm just curious when people were imposing what the future could look like if they were purposefully being silly and like, oh, no way that happens. But imagine what if there was a robot that cooked your dinner and just served it to you. Wouldn't that be funny? We're going to put it in a cartoon. I feel like there's a lot of things nowadays where like those kind of things, like, I don't know, like it could kind of be real. Like this part around, yeah, putting a chip in your head so that you can know all your thoughts at all times. Like, I don't know. It's like kind of real. Like it could probably happen. Like there's a lot of stuff that maybe would have been mythical in science fiction and in your book years and years ago that are still in our book today, but are getting to a point where it's like, uh, you know, oh, there's a company trying to do that right now. Or like, Oh, there's a trial going on of this thing. Or man, that seems like it could actually seriously probably happen. Now, if it's in the next 20 years, the next 50, don't know. But the, the, the pivot to, Oh, that's a dream to, Oh shit. That could maybe happen. I think it's also kind of a scary realization. I'm curious if that's just been a realization people always had because they've always thought technology was so far until you look back um, or not. Well, I think, you know, there's always been subsets of people that think technology has moved too fast. Like, for example, uh, groups of people like the Amish or the German Baptists, like the Amish started in like the late 1800s, early 1900s. Like they were reacting to things like electricity um, the telegraph, the telephone, um, that they thought was moving too far. Um, and so I think there's, there's always been this pushback, especially, I guess you have to say maybe since like the Renaissance where you say like, you're seeing people push back against this technological advancement. And part of that is because technological advancement affects and hampers or destroys existing cultural systems, right? So when, electricity was starting to pop out. I actually like one of the, this is really interesting. <laughs> uh, last fall, a group of German Baptists, I think I told you this, a group of German Baptists, a community came to our farm to take one of our chicken houses. Like 40, they're, they're, they're very similar to the Amish, uh, but they have different uh, religious beliefs. But like 40 German Baptist guys came and took down whole, you know, like, 100 yard long by 30 yard chicken coop shed in like two days with no power tools or anything. And we got to have dinner with them and talk with them. It was really interesting. But one thing that they said was, you know, one of the, he was like, one of the things about electricity is I can see how it could be good because it lets you see things, but it could also be bad because it could cause me to work later into the night when I shouldn't be working when I should be spending, you know, time with my family or sleeping. Uh, and so it's like this weird perspective of like the way he sees something like an electric light is like, it makes it too easy mm. for me to keep working. <laughs> and then that makes me, that makes me into a bad, you know, that's a sin. And what he would say is, and 
it's like so they, they have this different reaction whereas we're like oh just you know turn on the light and do this or that and um whereas we say oh a phone might be bad because it distracts me from my work um and or does this and that and but I think, yeah, there's always been these people that react negatively to technological advancement. We're seeing more, more of that, but we're also seeing the way that technology is addicting us to itself now um, with things like the smartphone and the Internet and various social media sites. It makes it very hard to cut yourself off. You know, I mean, I think that we both would likely admit that we are to an extent addicted to our, our smartphones um, and would have a difficult time going without them. Um, Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the challenges I think we face going forward. I also, I will put this in the show notes, but I sent Luke a video uh, where it's essentially a, it's called, from a channel called Voices of the Past, which I highly recommend, where they kind of just read things from the past. But this one is about Thomas Edison uh, describes 2011. And so one of the smartest scientists in the world um, describing what he really thought it would be like in 2011. And it is... It is, I think these types of things are so interesting. Like some things are, are, are right. I think, yeah, I think he has mm-hmm. some things about like heated water and air conditioning and stuff. But other things are just like completely absurd. Like I think he says like books will be made of metal. And because you, ha- you could have really thin sheets of nickel that you could get, you could get thousands of pages into a normal size book. So you could have so much more information. And it's just like, why would you think like that? Because now we have computers. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's just this weird thing but i think not to ramble too long but something that's interesting when we go back to edison's time what it's kind of like this victorian era uh mentality is like views of the future were like unilaterally for the most part they were like positive like the future will be better than the past like up all the way up through like world war one most views of the future were it will be better than the past like, things will keep getting better, technology will improve people's lives, everything will get cheaper, people will get richer, the wealth will be shared equally. Um, and then after World War One, that starts to change because people realize people are bad. Um, but there's this huge, like, optimism in the early, late 19th and early 20th century that kind of, like, drives science and humanity forward. And right now, I feel like we're kind of in this, this period of, like... Um, in somewhat, it's still from after the Second World War, but the kind of after the First World War through the Second World War, this great despair um, of like things will not be better in the future. This idea of kind of like Orwell's 1984 was this idea that things will not get better; they might get worse, um, and that's just something that we always think things will get better. But I feel like kind of deep down, people are starting to feel the opposite. Yeah, what a banger of an episode, dude! My last question for you is. Much like Edison predicted 20, 2011, what is, uh, what's Jared's, the the thought leader that Jared is, what is his prediction for, let's say, like, let's say, uh, like, 2066? What, what, what are we seeing in, like, uh, in a cool 40 years? 40 years. Well, any bold, any bold years. predictions? Still in our lifetime, you know, like, not, like, yeah. way far out. Like, I hope I have a grandchild. Mm. <laughs> yes <laughs> okay so still in our lifetime let's think here gosh you know this is yeah, if any listeners are still listening in 40 years i guess then they can they can say i'm wrong but 
I can't wait to pull this up when we're like, uh, you know, doing our coffee, when we're doing our 10,000th unprompted episode, <laughs> doing a flashback. I can't wait. I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to do a hot take, but I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to say there's two possibilities. There's two branches. One of those branches is that we are, I'm not going to say we're less technologically advanced. We will still be technologically advanced, but we will use a lot less technology than we use now. Mm-hmm. That, that's one of these branches is that we take a step back as a world, or at least as like a Western society and say, what the hell are we doing? Um, I think that the like full implications of things like smartphones and social media are unknown. And so, and I think that I personally believe, despite my wasting many, many an hour on YouTube and on my phone, that they will be negative. And so I think that we'll take a step back. That's one, one option. We'll take a step back. We'll realize, okay, this is not good. Let us try to revert back to a something similar to the... S- somewhat similar to the social structures of kind of like pre, I don't want to say like pre-industrial revolution, but kind of pre-technological revolution. Um, And that's not to say like all social structures, of course, will have hopefully more equitable um, social structures. But um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll, we'll have less technology. We won't use smartphones all the time. Uh, I, and this is the one I hope for that we are more like 1980 than we are like 2030. Um, the other path is that we continue this unfettered march forward of technology. And I think that in that scenario, things are more negative. I think that we would see increased inequalities and inequities um, between different social classes and economic classes of people. I think that we would see... Um, you would see even higher rates of like depression, um, possibly higher rates of suicide. One of the scariest things to me, which, you know, not to, to leave us on a, on a huge, like thing we could talk about more is like, if VR gets so good that it's like the black mirror thing, like it just hacks into your brain and you, everything you feel and sense is like VR. Like, why wouldn't you just let your let people live their lives there if they want? Wouldn't it be cheaper to just hook people up to feeding tubes if they want don't want to live if they're poor? They just decide, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live my life in in, in five hours of real time, and then they'll, you know, they'll they'll dose me with something and, and end it. But I'll live a full good life in VR, like. That to me is is scary. I, I don't necessarily think that will happen, but I think that, yeah, those are the two paths. One, we kind of try to revert back to this older style of life. And the other one is we kind of continue this march forward where we see growing inequality. We see technological advancement that mostly focuses in the hands of the rich. Um, as far as like solid technological predictions, um, I think VR will get better and better. Uh, AR will be more integrated into our lives. Um, and the great verification might happen. 
Luke just sent me a, a link that I'll have to read through. Yeah. Um, now, your last comment made me remind me a lot of this uh, this 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 post by Fratechery, which is very very good. Um, highly recommend the blog to listeners out there. But the Great Bifurcation, which is basically this concept about software eating the world, like eating the real world, because who we are, where we used to say, you know, like oh, like I am. Like I am Luke and then I'm also, I have, I play Xbox and I have my gamer tag and I'd have this stuff in there and then like, oh, I go to work and then at work I have these things and it's this concept around a, we're already starting to see that with our real lives about how, who we are at work blends with who we are at home, blends with who we are as a brother, as a dad, as a whatever. But then it gets to a point to where it's hard to picture it, but then you start to blend who you are in the digital world with who you are in the physical world because the the, your achievements and what you have and what you do in a one would say a metaverse uh, whether it be some virtual reality you know 3 avatar shit or not you could also argue that Instagram and Facebook and TikTok that is the metaverse because it's this whole world that's being conducted via a digital platform and it's not an extension of ourselves like it is us and like who we are online is who we are today and as a person it's like who like it's this bifurcation of this digital identity that we have with this physical identity that we have because it's a core integral part of who we are and it's just as relevant as our physical world. So um, your last comment reminded me of that, but I, I agree with my, uh, where my, my pitch of where we'll be. I also agree with you that technology will be less, not in a, in my opinion, not in a very altruistic sense of like, we realize it's bad and we step back and rethink. I think it's that there won't be a need because technology will be so advanced that we will have no reason to look at screens. We will have no reason to have any screens in our household or do you have a computer because everything will just be operated off of pure natural language, off of things like AR, things where technology is just embedded so seamlessly into our lives that um, I don't think technology will interrupt our day to day. I don't think we will pull out our phone and look at a screen. I don't think we'll go to work and type on our computer. Um, I think there will be more seamless ways to interact with technology that don't involve looking at a screen, which is less tech in the way that we know tech today, but I think it's more tech forward uh, than we can imagine right now. So that that's, that's, that's my, my pitch for the future. Interesting. I think, I think we're probably going to have to do more episodes on this because um, we are, I think there, there's questions of are the are our predictions for the future good or bad? Um, and we're well, obviously one of mine is not good, but are yeah. are the other predictions good or bad? Is it is it is technology good? That was one of the most interesting things uh, I was when I was talking with these German Baptist elders um, was the question of well, they asked me if I thought that electric electric lighting was uh, or electricity was morally neutral that's an interesting question wow i i think that electricity is definitely morally neutral but there is a question of whether things like the internet are morally neutral um or are good or bad for us as a society as people but that will probably have to be another episode we're probably going to have to wrap it up on this um yes we are well i'm glad this was a good episode man (laughs) we started with we talked about 23andMe and biotech and this idea about what, what happens when you put techno- or data and technology that could advance us as humans and how does that map with businesses that inherently want to bring profit to their shareholders. And I think it, 
it digressed in a great way. So this was this might be a top episode for me. I think you had some very astute thoughts. Um, it was really fun. You're to have to, Thanks, Jared. Gonna have to update the uh, update the the website. Their favorite episode. I might have to. This might this might be <laughs> the new favorite episode. Which I'm curious if website. What you want to tell listeners more about this this thing that you call a website about our podcast? So we have a website uh, oh that is. Uh, at on um, the unprompted no not not the just unproptedpod.com which is very um, live and very active and not down i hope it might be down uh <laughs> <laughs> it will be up uh hmm. oh i think it might be up now um <laughs> uh anyway uh i guess the uh, the long and the short of it is we have a website. You can go there. You can see things, uh, mostly just a picture of us and a description. There's also a feedback form uh, if you mm. want to submit feedback, questions, thoughts. Um, Luke owes a listener $10. Um, I do, unfortunately. And Luke is not paying his debts. Uh, not, not yet. I'm trying to figure out the best way in which to pay my debts um, to one of our most valuable and loyal listeners out there. Um, so, it is coming. It is coming. So he'll have to when maybe when he's back in Lincoln he'll have to pay that off uh, sometime yes. somehow. Um, yeah, but that is our website. I don't know. Do we want to do our regularly scheduled topic? I know we're over time, but I'm pretty okay with that. Yeah, I say let's do it. Uh, let's um, since when you brought up Thomas Edison, what what what's something about Thomas Edison that maybe the regular listener wouldn't know? Do you, do you have extensive Thomas Edison specific? knowledge otherwise just that that time era as well um i can throw you a softball if you can't think of something so thomas edison was an interesting character um i i don't think this is particularly groundbreaking knowledge but i'll say it anyway because i don't know that much uh but thomas edison wasn't a great guy um in 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 the sense that he uh he was a pretty ruthless businessman uh where he would hire people he would you know, have them invent things, uh, then he would take all the credit for those things that they invented um, and claim them as his own and utilize them to for, you know, business profit. Uh, probably the most uh, important uh, or the, mo- the biggest, most known, you know, case of this is that uh, Tesla, Nikola Tesla actually worked with Edison uh, on developing quite a, a large number of uh, like electronical electric innovations, things for like, how do we, it, it was AC and DC current, uh, right? Uh, and I believe they, not 100% sure, so I don't want to say anything definitively, uh, but uh, he helped, uh, he helped develop that. And then in the end, Edison ended up like essentially kicking him out, taking all the credit for what he did um, and made much of the money. Uh, another interesting thing they did is um, there was this big fight uh, over AC versus DC power, I believe it was. And I might be getting details wrong on this, so I'll correct myself in the show notes. But uh, I believe Thomas Edison, his companies, his electric companies used DC power to transmit over like long distances, which is, if you know if you know electricity, it's like, it's crazy. Like you have huge power loss, you have to have super high voltages uh, to do that. Uh, and competing, some competing companies were looking at using AC power, which is what we use today. Uh, and so to 
Edison invented the electric chair and used AC power for the electric chair to show to try to scare the public into thinking that AC power was much more dangerous. Uh, when actually running DC power over long distances was probably much more dangerous uh, than AC power. And so that's one of the examples of something he did to, um, it's just kind of a ruthless business move uh, to kind of scare tactics. But he was, he was a pretty, he was a, he was a shrewd businessman. He was a pretty ruthless businessman, but he was also a genius. He was very good at inventing things. He invented a lot of things. um, The, you know, improvements to projectors movie cameras lights um you know electrical generation uh just a bunch of things he was a very smart guy um but yeah he was also not a great guy as many innovators are not great guys usually wow well as always blows my mind with just casual knowledge about thomas edison that's sweet Wow. Well, thank you again for a for a great episode. Hopefully listeners enjoyed it. Um, looking forward to the next one. Episode 20, just under wraps. Hopefully our numbers and counting was correct. But uh, as always, thanks, Jared. Thank you, Luke. Uh, talk to all you guys later. Bye. See ya.